What if I told you that there's a cure for chronic pain? Yes, that pain you were told you would just have to manage. And what if I told you that that cure is already inside of you? Would you believe me? Welcome to the Let's Talk Mind Body Healing podcast where we talk about how to truly alleviate chronic suffering. I'm your host, Felicia Jaramus, and I'm really pleased to be here with you today for episode six of the podcast. So in this episode, I am going to help you become your own mind-body diagnosing detective. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about the characteristic features of mind-body illnesses that you can look for to help you determine if what you are experiencing right now could be mind-body. Because if you've listened to the podcast so far, we've touched on my own pain and recovery story. We've touched on John Sarno and TMS to give you some background and theory on what a mind-body illness is. And we've also had a couple more pain recovery stories. So we had uh, the beautiful Steph and also the wonderful Eddie. So you don't need to just take my word for it that this work is powerful and life-changing. But you still might be sitting there going, yeah, but what about my symptoms? Are my symptoms something that can be mind-body? So that's what this episode is about. But first, before we get on to the content of the episode, I wanted to talk a little bit about what has been going on for me over the last few days um, because I've had a bit of a mind-body episode which has been quite uncomfortable for me and this podcast episode actually almost didn't get recorded so I almost didn't release one this week because I've been doing pretty pretty badly um so a few days ago I started having some really negative thoughts uh about about death and dying and that triggered in me a huge anxiety spiral where I was looping and I couldn't stop thinking these thoughts and alongside that came this massive uh pain in my my belly and could feel just fear radiating through through my body. My whole body was was shaking, and and it was it was like that for for three days. And on the third day, things had gotten so bad that um, I I was vomiting and I couldn't eat. So I didn't eat for the three the whole three days. And it was like my stomach hurt so bad that I I didn't even feel hungry, even though I hadn't eaten. And even just the smell of food would just make me want to want to vomit. Um, and that was basically my body was just full of, of fear because of these spiraling thoughts that I was having. And I didn't know how to, how to stop it. And I've reached a point now where I can recognize that those thoughts aren't me and I don't have to engage in them. But in some ways I couldn't stop myself and that was even even harder. But when I went to therapy um, this afternoon, my therapist sort of explained to me, and I'm going to share this because I find it 
really interesting. He explained to me that fear is actually addictive. So when you feel fear, there's often um, a release of adrenaline in your in your body. So my brain, when I had that first fear thought, the adrenaline was released. And because I grabbed onto that thought and kept thinking about it, that gave my brain the opportunity to go, oh, I like this feeling. I like the adrenaline. What did I do to get that burst of adrenaline? Hmm, I'm going to keep doing that. So hence why I entered into this cycle of sort of positive reinforcement of getting more and more adrenaline. And I was in this place where my whole body was shaking I couldn't stop having these fear thoughts because my brain was throwing them at me to keep getting this adrenaline. So in some way, I'd been sucked into this, you know, addiction of of fear. And yeah, it was, it's been pretty bad, pretty awful, pretty dark for, for me. Lots of worst case scenario thinking about the world and my own place in it and yeah it's been terrifying but um, hopefully I can now that I've had that pointed out to me it makes a whole heap of sense I was meeting fear with fear basically and my fear was growing so hopefully I can pull my head out of it but you know I think I've probably caught it early even though it was very severe very quickly um After coming home from therapy, I was able to eat some dry toast. (laughs) So I do have something in my belly now for the first time in a few days. Um, But yeah, so I just wanted to share that with you because I think it's pretty useful to know and something to look out for in yourself if you feel that starting to happen. It pulled me in very quickly without me even really realising what was going on. Um, but I'm here now, I'm going to record this episode, I'm going to help you become pain detectives, that's my goal for now, I'm going to, going to switch off that fear hopefully and um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. So anyway, on to my disclaimer that I play regularly just to make sure that everybody is being safe and then I'll get into the content. hold my doctorate in education but I'm not a medical doctor all the content I provide in any medium including but not limited to this podcast is for informational purposes only no content provided by me is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice the purpose is to promote broad understanding and knowledge of various health topics if you choose to use any information provided by me You do so solely at your own risk. Always seek the guidance of your doctor or qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding your health or a medical condition. Do not embark on a mind-body healing journey till you have clearance from your healthcare practitioner to do so and until you have discussed how to apply mind-body healing to your own individual case with your healthcare practitioner.
Okay, so episode six, understanding the characteristic features and presentations of a mind-body disorder. So as I've said in past episodes, almost any physical symptom in the body can be a symptom of a mind-body disorder. And many diagnoses that people are given by the medical community really are just labels for the symptoms that are caused by the mind-body disorder. And if you want to know more about that, then episode two is a good one to go back to. Uh, However, for those who are new to the podcast or who might need reminding, I've got a quick definition here from the Psychophysiologic Disorders textbook called Trauma-Informed Interprofessional Diagnosis and Treatment. So um, psychophysiologic disorders is also often called PPD. And that is another more medical term for mind-body disorders. I do prefer mind-body in this context because I think it's more relatable. Um, But yeah, you might hear it referred to as PPD, TMS, central sensitization, and so on. There are a whole heap of words for it. But here's a pretty good definition. So mind-body disorder is pain or other physical symptoms, often more than one, that can affect almost any structure, organ system, or body region. Symptoms are caused or amplified by psychological processes and are not primarily due to disease or damage to the body's organs or structures. Common emotional processes linked to these symptoms include the long-term impact of adverse childhood experience, current life stresses, limited self-care skills, suppressed emotions, post-traumatic stress, depression, and anxiety. All right, so if you think that your symptoms could fit into there, then um, let's press on. So in, in un- talking about how mind-body conditions are diagnosed, I've taken the information for this episode from a range of sources, but particularly from the PPD book where that diagnosis came from, and also particularly David Clark and Howard Strubiner. So both MDs who practice in the mind-body healing um, space. And by the way, you can buy the PPD book from www.ppdassociation.org if you are interested. And I do believe they have another one coming out fairly soon that I'm really looking forward to and really interested in um, digging into. Oh, and the Tell Me About Your Pain podcast also did a fantastic episode on diagnosing mind-body illnesses in December of last year. And that was called How Can I Diagnose My Pain Like a Specialist? So also check that one out as well. It's really good. And that was directly with Howard Schubiner, who I have taken um, a lot of the information from this episode from. But anyway, uh, here we go. So in the past, the only way to make a diagnosis of a mind-body disorder was via exclusion. So basically run every test in the medical book And if it all comes back normal, so if you've excluded everything else, then you can conclude it's mind-body. But now there are a whole heap of ways that you can rule in a mind-body diagnosis for chronic symptoms. So symptoms that generally have lasted for at least three to four months um, because otherwise they could still be, you know, some kind of injury or illness or infection that's healing. But once they become 
chronic, that's when we start looking um, at whether they are mind-body. And there are patterns and things that mind-body illnesses often follow that we can look for. And when you find these patterns, it's pretty strong evidence that it is a mind-body condition. But it's still important to go to your doctor and rule out illnesses like cancers, infections, fractures, you know, things like that. So make sure you've seen your doctor and ruled out any more serious or life-threatening conditions that require medical intervention before you do anything else. The rule-out phase is still super important. And once you've done that, you can enter the rule-in phase. So I've divided the rule-in phase into six parts. The first one is uh, consider the condition you've been labelled with yourself because that can be a clue. Um, have Second one, have any structural testing reviewed carefully. The third one, consider your pain patterns and inconsistencies. The fourth one, consider if you have triggers. The fifth one, examine your life and the onset of your pain. And the sixth one is consider the use of different available questionnaires for diagnosing um, a mind-body disorder. So let's dig into each of those, these six in turn. So the first one, the condition you have been labelled with itself can be a clue. So while you are in your rule out phase, your medical doctor is likely to have diagnosed your symptoms, given them some sort of label. You may even have multiple labels by now. Um, I certainly did. I had multiple labels for the pain in my face and neck and you know, I would describe my symptoms to the different doctors and I would get different, different diagnoses. Um, but the first thing to do with this is consider whether your condition is one that typically has a structural cause. Because there are a lot of conditions where in the vast majority of cases, um, we know now that they're mind-body. And according to the PPD textbook, conditions such as irritable bowel, non-ulcer dyspepsia, migraine and tension headaches, complex regional pain syndrome, fibromyalgia, myofascial pain syndrome, multiple chemical sensitivities and interstitial cystitis are some of these more popular diagnoses which rarely have a structural cause, although there are, are many more. And for, you know, for things like fibromyalgia, which is characterised by pain that moves around the body, so it isn't localised, then it sort of makes intuitive sense that there is a central component, that it has to be driven by the brain and the nervous system and not by anything that's wrong, you know, structurally with the body itself. And for conditions like migraine and tension headache, they recently just stated on the Tell Me About Your Pain podcast that um, more recent statistics are showing that it's probably close to 90 to 95% of people whose conditions are actually mind-body in origin. So that is really high proportions of, you know, migraine and tension headache sufferers who, you know, can find amazing benefit from doing this work. Um, and I was, was one of those people. Um, so under point one is also this idea of multiple conditions. So basically, the more chronic pain type conditions you have or have experienced throughout your life, the more likely it is you have some something mind-body going on. So I have a quote from a blog written by Howard Schubiner um, about this multiple symptoms. And he says, 
Most adult patients I see have had several of these during the course of their lifetime. They may have had a nervous stomach as a child, headaches as a teenager, TMJ symptoms and anxiety in their 20s, IBS or pelvic pain, depression, neck or back pain at other times. It can be very helpful to make a list of all of the potential PPD symptoms and note at what points in your life they began or reoccurred. The more of these that have been present, the higher the likelihood the current symptoms are also PPD. So, yeah, basically look back on your health and think about what you've been through and the more that's, that's there that pops up for you, the more likely that, you know, you've got brain, brain at play here. Um, but, you know, some patients do only just have one as well. Um, and if you only have one, it doesn't mean that it isn't mind-body. So that, that's not something that rules it out. That's just to help you rule it in. So the second one, body structures and structural testing. Okay, so I'm going to be brief on this one because this, this one generally re requires the help of a trained medical doctor. The other four points, or five points, sorry, you can dig into a bit more yourself. But this point is basically about considering how the body is structured and whether your pain could reasonably be structurally induced. So broad things to look out for here are things like pain that occurs on both sides of your body, so like a mirror image, or pain that swaps sides, particularly if it's nerve pain. So we have different nerves for either side of the body. And if nerves on both sides of your body are hurting, then that's usually a sign that your brain has gotten involved. The same can be said about symptoms that shift more generally or occur in many different parts of the body at the same time. Similarly, if you have pain that radiates down like an entire arm or an entire leg, um, that indicates that your brain is likely to be involved. If it's nerve damage that's causing your pain then you should only have pain where that nerve is located and there isn't a single nerve that covers an entire arm or leg so really structurally it, it doesn't make a lot of sense um, to think that something like this could be structural and that plays into in terms of your structural testing so ensure that these have been read um, critically so any x-rays or mris um, make sure that whatever abnormalities have been pointed out actually line up with your pain. So, for example, a degenerated disc halfway up your spine is probably not going to be responsible for pain you have radiating down your entire leg or something like that because the nerves in your legs don't go that far up your spine. So just make sure that these things are lining up and that they, they make sense physically. And I do have another quote from the PPD on this. So it says, for the majority of people with chronic neck and back pain, the correct diagnosis is PPD. Um, so this, this isn't quoted, but it's now looking somewhere like around the 85% range of people. That was also recently mentioned on the Tell Me About Your Pain podcast. Um, although few doctors, physical therapists and chiropractors are aware of this, as long as the x-rays and MRIs do not show a tumour infection inflammatory condition or fracture and if the neurological examination rules out nerve damage then the presence of degenerative or bulging discs spurs or facet problems should not be interpreted as causing pain um, so that's the sort of advice in the PPD book and I will say that if 
if you have a case where the things the symptoms do line up with what's been shown in your imaging and your doctor has recommended um, surgery, spinal surgery, um, then I would recommend reading the work of Dr. David Hanscom in particular and sort of looking in that area before you make any decisions um, because he is a spine surgeon who works in the mind-body space and he's very knowledgeable and very good at sort of understanding and talking about what is and isn't mind-body in relation to back pain in, in particular. Okay, so that's number two. Number three, pain patterns and inconsistencies. So I find this one to be, this one's a little bit fun. This is where you can really get your detective hat on. And this one is basically about looking for the exceptions to any rules you have around the pain. So if you think, if you're, if you're certain, right, I, every time I stand up for 10 minutes even, my back starts to ache. I can't even do the dishes without my back aching, right? Pay attention to any moments you might have where it doesn't happen, where, where your rules are broken, right? So if you're washing the dishes one night and there isn't any pain, really pay attention to that. And the reason why I, I would I say this is um, Dr. James Alexander. So here is a quote from him and he says, when your experience of pain varies, as in pain pattern exceptions, then this suggests that your pain is dependent on a factor that also varies. So things like emotions and, and the brain. And he advises people to pay attention to moments of relief and take it as evidence that it is possible to experience no pain. So he speaks about a female client I saw had only the exception of five minutes of no back pain over a 10-year period, but even this short exception told her that it was possible to experience no pain. Exceptions are valuable sources of information and an essential component of learning to think psychologically about chronic pain. So there you go. There's the fun one. So start digging in and looking for where exceptions to your rules are and really acknowledging those exceptions as powerful evidence that there can be change, that, that these conditions can change. Um, other pain patterns to look for. So pain that improves when you get another illness. So if, for example, your migraines are lesser when your IBS is flaring or you've had depression come on really badly and suddenly your IBS is, is basically gone or your anxiety has come up and so the pain in your foot is far less. This really is an indication that your brain is at play um, and this is a very common feature of mind-body illnesses. It's often called symptom substitution or the symptom imperative. So you might hear it referred to that. But that's very characteristic and typical presentation. Um, something else, so symptoms that vary depending on the time of day or day of the week. So if your symptoms are more or less intense in the morning or in the evenings or if you wake up with them, this is an indication that your brain is at play because if it was something structural or physically wrong with your body, it's going to be just as wrong with your body no matter what time of the day it is. And if you're waking up with the pain or symptoms, 
this is often an indication that your subconscious brain is working here because your subconscious brain is what is alert while you're asleep. Your subconscious never sleeps. And that's why a lot of people who suffer from mind-body disorders um, suffer from insomnia because your, your conscious brain is going to sleep and leaving your subconscious in charge. And a lot of this comes from your subconscious. Um, something else to look out for. So symptoms that reduce when you're engaging in an enjoyable activity or when you're less stressed, such as when you're on holiday. So if when you're feeling quite positive, your symptoms decrease. Again, that's a sign that your brain is playing a huge role here because if it was structural, then feeling positive doesn't change the structures of your body. Okay, so that is three. So number four is is triggers. So according to the PPD book, pain that is triggered by a harmless, a generally harmless, unrelated stimuli is usually mind-body. So if your pain is triggered by things like lights, sounds, smells, the weather, and even different points in your micro monthly cycle if you're a woman, then it's really a sign that you're your brain is involved and you, you are hyper-aroused and your brain is, you know, sort of picking up these things as being dangerous to you when they're not. Because pain, in essence, is a protection mechanism from your brain. And so if these things are triggering your pain, um, then it's an indication that, yeah, your brain is involved. And the one that was really interesting for me um, was definitely the, the monthly cycle one because my pain was very cyclical and for a long time I was convinced that there was a hormo hormonal cause. It took me a really long time to let go of that. Um, but the pain was mind-body. If anything, uh, my emotions would just get more out of control at certain points in my cycle. But, you know, um, yeah, mind-body. Um, other triggers, so pain that is triggered by the anticipation of certain events. So, for example, the pain shows up on a Sunday afternoon before you have to go to work on a Monday or in the presence of certain people or before an event you have coming up that you're nervous or stressed about, then again, it's an indication that the pain is mind-body. Um, other triggers also include when you press lightly and that creates pain. So, for me, you actually like couldn't even touch my face. I couldn't, no one was allowed anywhere near my face. You couldn't touch my face or my neck. So it would just hurt so much. Um, when pressing hard relieves the pain. When thinking, of, and this one's an interesting one, when just thinking about moving or thinking about the pain creates pain. So Drew Coverdale, author of The Pain Habit, has a really good quote on this, which I'm going to read out to you. So this is about when thinking about moving creates pain. And he says, this is the perfect example of how sensitized neural pathways which create pain can become. We can feel pain as we move if we have an injury, but if that pain is experienced at a time of high emotion and this level of emotions persists, then the brain links those things together. That pain can now be influenced by experiencing the same emotion long after any tissue damage occurred. That pain can be so sensitive that in some it can be triggered by simply imagining a painful movement. This could be considered by the individual as showing them how damaged they are, but in reality, 
it illustrates that their brain is triggering that pain which they experience in their body. So if just thinking about the pain, thinking about moving, you know, creates pain or makes your pain worse, then that really is a pretty critical indication that your brain is is driving this, right? Just thinking about it creates it. Okay, so that's four, your, your triggers. Five is look for clues around the onset of your pain or symptoms and examine your own life. So mind-body disorders are associated with stress, particularly in childhood and disinhibited emotional processing. So consider whether there have been significant stressful events in your life or even ongoing sort of low-level stress throughout your life. And look in particular around the onset of the symptoms and if there are any significant stresses here. And not, a, not everybody will have an identifiable stressor at the time of onset or the stressor may seem really small, but repeated small stresses over a lifetime can affect us just as much as large stresses. Um, so don't, don't downplay what you've, what you've been through. You may be feeling it in your body. Um, the next, examine your personality. So ask yourself, and really do this critically, if your personality induces stress or pressure in you. So are you a perfectionist or a goodist or highly self-critical? Do you neglect your own needs or do you have a high level of compassion for others? These sorts of personality traits are very well associated with mind-body disorders. And I really do find the personality stuff really interesting because when I was first exploring mind-body and sort of the potential idea that what I was suffering from could be mind-body, I resisted that I had any of those personality traits. But I have come to realize that I am a perfectionist. I'm very emotional and extremely sensitive. I was just so out of touch with myself and my own needs that I just I couldn't recognize that in myself. And it is funny because I was always told that I wasn't a very, very sensitive person growing up, but I really did have to shut it all down and everything was coming out in pain. And so I had no idea how deeply I felt anything um now I freak out about how damn sensitive I am about everything and I you know (laughs) that's a new world to adjust to but all right so that's five number six now this one consider the use of different um pain or TMS questionnaires so this can be really um handy um but I do find them less helpful than sort of really carefully attending to your symptoms and looking for sort of exceptions to the rules and things like that. And I only say that because these questionnaires are kind of a bit generic. And for me, many of these questionnaires actually told me that I didn't have um, a mind-body illness or that I was really borderline. But the reason for that was that I was so out of touch with my own symptoms and my own, you know, kind of personality that I was answering no to a lot of questions that I really should have been answering yes to, but I just didn't know. So I, you know, I couldn't feel any of my emotions. So I didn't know how my pain varied by emotions. These, these are really useful aids and they really help you. Um, but they might not be conclusive for you depending on how you're going with, you know, reading your own body and your own symptoms. I certainly wasn't, wasn't great at it. Um, 
But for many people, they are really helpful and they can really give you that that reassurance and they really do also help point you in the right direction of things you can be looking for because they're generally designed based around the common characteristics of mind-body disorders. So the people designing them look at what is common among people with mind-body illnesses and that's what, what makes up the questionnaire. So it can re- you know really point you in more directions about what is common for people who have mind-body illnesses, what's a common feature of these illnesses. So I'm going to put a link to a few of them in the show notes. There really are a lot of them around um, and they're, they're similar but different um, and they're free mostly. So Dan um, Buglio has one. There's one on pain outside the box. David Schechter has one on his website. Um, there's a few. Um, but I've got one here with me now. And I thought I'd read it out to you in the last part of this episode and we could do it together. So this one is freely available on painoutsidethebox.com. And you'll notice as I go through it that it taps into a lot of what we've spoken about. It's a lot of the patterns and things that mind-body illnesses often follow. So to start this, this questionnaire, um, It's sort of if you answer yes to the first question and then to more than three additional questions from the list above, then it is pretty likely that your pain is is mind-body or your your symptoms, whatever you are experiencing. Okay, so let's do this. There are only 11 questions, so it won't take too long. So question one, have you been suffering from chronic pain for over four months? And remember, this is the one that you need to answer yes to. And three more. And obviously the reason why they want you to answer yes to this one is because you need to make sure the pain isn't a result of some injury or illness that isn't still healing. So usually they want it to have crossed into the chronic um, pain realm first. Number two, does your pain tend to move around? Number three, do you suffer from any other chronic conditions such as IBS, vertigo, acid reflux, tension headache, migraines, sinus problems that tend to keep reoccurring in your life? So that one is obviously tapping into the idea of of multiple conditions. And remember, the more you have had, the more likely it is that you have a mind-body condition. Number four, do you suffer from chronic pain in different areas of the body? For example, back pain and neck pain or the same pain on different sides of the body. So again, tapping into some of the structural and functional, the ways the body functions. Um, In the more locations you have pain, the more likely it's brain induced. Five, does your pain vary in intensity throughout the day? For example, worse in the morning, better in the evening or vice versa. Six, does your pain have a pattern or a threshold, i.e. does it always result after certain movements or activities or after you've been doing an activity for a certain amount of time? For instance, after sitting down for longer than 30 minutes. Seven, do you identify with any of the following personalities? So ambitious and perfectionist, people pleaser, Catastrophic or anxious personality, 
conformist. So conformist is someone who is afraid for their self-image and have how other people perceive them. A victim, so someone who thinks of themselves as unlucky and powerless. Stoic, so someone who's, who has trouble expressing feelings and sees it as a sign of weakness or you don't know how you feel. Legalist, so very critical of others and t- determined to always be right. Low self-esteem uh, or dependent. So someone who's dependent is afraid to take on challenging tasks and depends on other people for their happiness and, and things like that. Eight, were you going through a particularly stressful time when or right before the pain started? Nine, did you go through a significant change in your life when or right before the pain started? For example, wedding, birth of a child, changing career, loss of a loved one. Ten, is your pain preventing you from doing an activity that you may unconsciously want to avoid? It could be preventing you from going to work, traveling to see someone or practicing a sport. So 10, that one's a really interesting one and that can be a hard one for people to think about. Um, but I have Liz, um, an episode from Liz that's been pre-recorded that will I will release very soon. And Liz really bravely talked about on that episode how she would get pain in her hands and that would be an unconscious way to sort of get out of having to play the piano for her. So... Um, That's a really, I think, interesting one to really think about for yourself. Uh, 11, did your pain get worse when other people, including medical professionals, warned you to be careful lest you make it worse or shared their own painful experiences with you? So 11 is really tapping into fear and how fear really drives these conditions and fear of your body being broken or damaged and, and these negative emotions because the brain um, processes emotions and emotional pain and physical pain, you know, in the same regions and they're very intertwined and overlapping. <sighs> That's it. That's the questionnaire. So did you answer yes to question one and yes to at least three more of the other 10 questions? If so, um, then it is very likely that you, your pain and the symptoms you are experiencing are a TMS or mind, mind body. Um, but again, if you didn't, it doesn't necessarily rule it out for you either. For me, when I was first exploring this, I probably would have scored about two out of three on this questionnaire. Um, but a lot of that was because I was not self-aware enough to, to be able to answer yes to a lot of them. Now, looking back, I answer yes to a lot more, but at the time, I I wouldn't have. So that is, you know, how to become a sort of pain detective. So really looking for, you know, how your symptoms present. Do they present, you know, in different places? Do they move around? Or if they are always in the same same place how does it vary does it vary at certain times of the day does it vary based on your emotions when you're having a really good day emotionally is the pain lesser or when you're about to do something stressful is the pain pain more or is your pain triggered by things that really shouldn't cause you pain like lights or sounds you know is your brain really 
in this overprotective mode? And importantly, are there exceptions to your pain rules? Are there moments where it doesn't hurt when you think it should or normally would? These exceptions are evidence that you can have more moments like these. If it isn't hurting, you know, it cannot hurt again. Anyway, I hope this episode has been useful for you, even though I'm still currently in the middle of a fierce spiral and the only thing I've eaten in three days is dry toast. Um, But I'm going off now to really um, hold myself and nurture myself and give myself some self-care. And I'm going to do a guided visual meditation. So... um, Often, you know, pretty much all the time now, I will just do a mindfulness meditation whenever I meditate, Um, but I'm not going to touch mindfulness while I'm feeling the way I'm feeling now um, because I don't want to get sucked deeper into this fear. Just just for now, I I will revisit it, but I'm off to do a beautiful guided visual meditation. Um, So thanks for listening. Um, Take care of yourself and take care of others, and I will see you next time. Bye-bye.